Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah in the 62nd chapter. For Zion's sake I will not keep silence, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading from 1 Corinthians in the 12th chapter. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise and honor the Gospel, and our Gospel reading from John's Gospel in the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast, called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. And peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You join your hearts together with mine as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your continued work as you call us together around your word to hear it. We pray you also work by your Spirit. That you open our hearts and minds to hear your word, remove distractions from us, and let your glory resound. In your Son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Weddings are joyous and beautiful and wonderful occasions. Now, there's exceptions, of course, but as we look at most weddings that ever go on, whether they are among Christians or not among Christians, there is a lot of effort to make them a joyous, wonderful, beautiful occasion where people are gathered together to celebrate the love of a couple and they are wonderful. Now, they don't always go as planned. We know this. There's always something that happens on a wedding day. There's always something that comes up to where there needs to be somebody who steps in. And I would venture to guess that nearly every wedding throughout time has had something go on where it's needed a a Savior, a, a little Savior in our sense, or in Jesus' sense, a grand Savior to kind of save things so that the day would go off seemingly without a hit. I know when I think back on Michelle's and my wedding, that was certainly the case. We actually needed a handful of little saviors that all came together. And we had planned, I had planned, for a few friends from culinary school to jump in and come and help cook. Actually come help prepare the day before, help prepare the day of, and cook during the event. It was all scheduled, it was good, but then as the event started to come closer, I started to get phone call after phone call of reasons why guys couldn't make it, like I forgot I was working, and that kind of thing. And so people were backing out as time went on. I had two friends that were able to make it. One showed up for preparation, but he couldn't get the day off for the actual ceremony. The other one was there, and he was steadfast. So we were cooking a meal for 170 It doesn't always look good for the groom in a tuxedo to be back in the kitchen cooking. In fact, I got kicked out of the kitchen. But what was amazing to me was to see my one stalwart friend who was organizing things there. He was amazing. And then the two chefs that I worked with at a restaurant actually walked away from the restaurant for a couple of hours to come in and pitch in. And they brought things like salt so that everything had good flavor and a little bit of lemon juice and all of it, just to brighten everything up. And it was wonderful when they stepped in, but still, we needed more hands. And as I was walking along and guests were entering in, one after one, a handful of my uncles would walk in and say, hey, good to see you, Matt. Congratulations, where's the kitchen? I had never even let them know that there was a need. But in this moment where we knew we needed to feed over 150 people, these men were amazing as they stepped in to walk in and fill a void so that everybody would have food and eat. They kept a wedding from going off of the rails. Well, they kept 
of reception from going off of the rails. So that people would still have enjoyment and be able to enjoy that day. And man, the stress they took off of my shoulders and off of my friend David's shoulders was beautiful. See, these folks that step in do something that's much grander than we ever really even realized. Because for the most part, nobody would even realize that they were there doing that. More often than not, if you go to a wedding as a guest, you don't even know that that kind of stuff is going on behind the scenes. But see, when it does fall through, and when it does break apart, we start to feel something very different than just the guilt for a sin or the guilt for unpreparedness. We start to feel something like shame. We start to feel the weight of something weighing upon us that's very different than just guilt of something done wrong. But it's more like when we talk about reputation or something like that. And so when we start to feel the weight of that shame, it starts to shape kind of how we even look at ourselves. Because guilt and sin, or guilt can come from sin, that comes from an action. And we can deal with the consequence of that action more often than not. But then... The thing that lasts longer than that is kind of how we start to look at our character or how people perceive us to be because of that thing. And that's kind of the shame portion of it. We don't talk about shame a whole lot in our culture. A Western culture deals more with guilt and innocence and justice and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we're starting to see a little more conversation around the idea of shame. And if not a conversation around it, at least the effects of it. Over the past couple of decades, as uh, social networking and other things have risen in popularity, we start to see more and more, mm, shame is the best word for it, the more and more shame felt by those who have a reputation that's tarnished for whatever reason online, whether it's true or false. And the results that we start to see from that is actually then a lot of an increase in things like teen suicide. And a lot of a weight and burden is carried upon people because they don't know what to do with that shame. See, in other cultures that don't focus as much on the guilt and innocence and justice side of things, they deal more with shame and honor. That's the hard part. When shame has come into the midst of something, how do you bring honor back? And if you look through a lot of the Eastern cultures, the way honor was brought back to the family often was as extreme as death for the one who brought shame upon the family. The one who brought shame upon the name of a family or disgraced a family name, the only way for honor to be brought back sometimes was for that person to be removed or ostracized or even killed. That's a weight that is heavy to carry. As we look at this Gospel text, and we see Jesus there as one of the wedding guests there, we can talk about the miracles, and that is amazing. We can talk about the manifestation of His glory so that the disciples knew who He was as God and man. And that's amazing. But one of the things that is understood by the readers of this Gospel in the day it was written would have been the shame felt by the bridegroom and his family and by the bridegroom and his bride 
for having not been able to provide one of the most necessary and basic parts of a wedding celebration. Wine. To run out of wine in the midst of that celebration, which would have lasted five to seven days, and there would have been five to seven hundred people as well from the community gathered together in celebrating this wedding. A joyous, wonderful, beautiful occasion. You can imagine how that would have been as they were all celebrating and somewhere in the midst of it, all the wine runs out. You see, that would have brought shame. A shame which would have given a grounding for the new bride and groom that would have been very negative, very hard to overcome. And the families of the bride and groom would have been looked down upon in the community. They would have had very hard times trying to regain honor and trust in the middle of the community. One of the beautiful things about this wedding at Cana with Christ is the fact that He actually brings honor and stops shame from ever shaping the identity of this bridegroom and bride or the family. See, as Mary comes to Him and says, they have no wine. Jesus knows what that means. But He knows it's not time for Him to necessarily show everybody who He is. This is early in the ministry and people just wouldn't get it. But He knows that honor needs to be saved. He knows that shame needs to not come into the conversation for this beautiful setting which He knows God ordained from creation as a bride and grooms come together. So very quietly, in the background, without anybody even knowing anything other than the servants who are there in the midst of it, that they couldn't really have opportunity to talk to anybody. Just says, go get some water. Fill the jars up to the brim so you know nothing's hidden. Draw some of that water out and put it in a cup and take it to the master of the feast. Imagine being that servant for a second. I've got water in a cup. Supposed to take it to who? The guy in charge of all of the wine? You want me to give him water? Okay. So in the middle of that, taking a cup, which you knew was water in a big jar, and handing it over to the master of the feast, who calls then the bridegroom over. Imagine again, the servant standing in the corner, silent, kind of watching as everything's going on. Going, what is going to go down now? I just gave that man a cup of water and he's calling the bridegroom over. Kind of getting waiting for the fireworks to happen where everything's going to cut loose and he's just going to shame this guy and you know you're in the midst of it for serving him. And he doesn't. Come here. You know everybody gives the good wine first and then when everybody's drunk their fill, you bring out the poor wine, but you... You, you saved the best until now. In that beautiful moment that Jesus saved everything under the wraps of humility and everything else, He then let that bridegroom stand in the most honorable place that could ever be stood of doing something in a way that no one else had ever done. And in the midst of actually running out of things, Jesus provides for everything and brings honor to the situation, not for himself, but so that this bridegroom would carry all the honor. 
so that he would carry all of the honor moving forward. And the bridegroom has no idea how it happened at all. I'm sure he tried to find out later. But the honor that was brought by this seemingly normal guest of a carpenter who some had seen at his baptism, anointed by God the Father. Others had heard him teach a little bit. They're trying to figure out who he is. Yet he's not the one that received all the honor. That bridegroom, newly married, the wonderful start to things that they're married. God's honor has been given to you. In the midst of our sin that brings shame on the relationship between us and God, as we look at what our sins accomplish by taking Christ to the cross, that sin doesn't shape our identity or who we are. It doesn't set our reputation by any means because God looks down upon us and He says, yes, you sinned, but you know what? My Son died for you and forgave that and now gives you His honor. You get to carry Christ's honor because He has given it to you as a free and gracious gift in your baptism. You get to not carry the identity of a sinner, but the identity of one who has been saved, the identity of a saint, the identity of one where everything has been forgiven, you have been redeemed, and reconciliation has been made. We don't always get to see that in our culture. In fact, more often than not in our culture, when sin starts to come in or justice is demanded, we see things canceled or people moved away and out of certain situations. Though we may talk about forgiveness a lot of times, we don't always let things be restored. God has restored you in Christ. God has given you not shame to hold on to, but honor. An honor that the church carries because of the bridegroom Jesus who is coming back for His bride. And in that day when that wedding celebration comes to fruition and Christ comes back to receive His bridegroom or His bride of the church, He receives her in honor to then present her before His Father and say, here we are moving into eternity and the honor that You have given us, Father, as we then live with Christ. And so I pray as Your days come and as You look at each day that comes and You see the sins that Your hands commit, You know that God has forgiven You in Jesus and that He has shaped You not in sin and shame, but He has reshaped You in honor and in forgiveness that comes through Christ alone. Amen. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for what You have done for us through Jesus alone. That by His hands, we receive honor. By His hands, we receive forgiveness. And by His hands, You have given us salvation and eternity and life. We pray, Lord, that You let us rest in those promises that Jesus has won for us. In His name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise.